Hello and welcome to Pedra's Points of Discussion podcast. I am Jen Dawson, Pedra's Associate Director of Educational Programs, and I am back in Season 2 with our Drugs and Bugs Focus Study Group. This session is going to focus on EM, RHYME, SJS, and TEN, the alphabet soup of severe blistering cutaneous adverse reactions. This is episode two, a discussion on Steven Johnson syndrome and how it fits into this larger category of blistering severe cutaneous adverse reactions. With Dr. Michelle Ramin returning as the moderator and Dr. Yvonne Chu joining the conversation. In episode one, you heard Dr. Mathis and Dr. Ramin discuss rhyme in greater detail and the importance of calling it out as a separate condition from EM and SJSTEN. If you haven't listened to that episode, please stop and go back and listen now. Now, a couple of disclaimers before we begin. It's important to note the views and information expressed during this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance or the program presenters. The purpose of this podcast is to be thought-provoking and to stimulate new ideas, new collaborations, and novel research. Any reference to medical treatment or disease management is for this purpose only. It is not an endorsement by PEDRA or its presenters and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any decisions related to medical care should be made in consultation with a qualified healthcare provider. Now I would like to welcome back your program presenters. Moderating this series is Dr. Michelle Ramin. Dr. Ramin is a clinical associate professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Calgary. She is also a clinician investigator at Alberta Children's Hospital. Dr. Ramin co-chaired PEDRA's 10th annual conference back in November of 2022 and has worked on countless research projects within PEDRA and is currently serving on PEDRA's Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Lastly, she is the chair of PEDRA's Drugs and Bugs Focused Study Group. Joining Dr. Ramin is Dr. Yvonne Chu, Professor of Dermatology as well as Vice Chair and Medical Director of Pediatric Dermatology at the Medical College of Wisconsin. She also has co-chaired past PEDRA meetings and has been a key member of PEDRA for many years. At last and certainly not least is Dr. Aaron Mathis. Dr. Mathis is a professor of dermatology at the University of California, San Francisco. She's been a longtime PEDRA member and has previously co-chaired PEDRA's Best Practices Task Force. At this time, I would like to announce that Dr. Yvonne Chu has no relevant disclosures to this discussion. However, she has been funded by PEDRA for a study on RHYME. Additionally, Dr. Mathis has no relevant disclosures to this discussion. However, she is the author and reviewer for Up to Date, and she has previously done some consulting two years ago, but that is not relevant to this topic. And finally, Dr. Michelle Ramin has no relevant disclosures other than having been funded with PEDRA grants in the past. She also consulted in the last two years for dermatology products, but not specifically related to RHYME. These include AbbVie, Boeinger, Ingelheim, Eli Lilly, Leo Pharma, Pfizer, and Sanofi. With disclaimers, introductions, and disclosures out of the way, I will now hand it over to Dr. Ramin. Thanks so much, Jen. It's my pleasure now to speak with Dr. Yvonne Chu from the Medical College of Wisconsin about the case for keeping Stephen Johnson syndrome. So Yvonne, presented with that same patient that we discussed in episode one, patient presenting to the emergency department, pediatric patient with the first episode of severe mucositis, 
with some blistering skin lesions, possibly an upper respiratory tract prodrome and so certain treatments, possibly some NSAIDs, maybe some antibiotics. What do, what do you call this patient and, and what direction do you take their management? Um, thanks for asking that question, Michelle. So I would argue that um, this patient should be diagnosed with Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Um, this terminology has been around for many years, and it's terminology that the um, medical community is familiar with. And so when diagnosing a child with Stevens-Johnson syndrome, I do believe that um, the ER physicians, the hospitalists, um, primary care providers will understand that this is a serious illness that requires um, intensive cares and admission for certain um, cares. I think RIME um, is or MERM is a more new, uh, newly introduced term and perhaps is just adding confusion to what's out there in the literature and clouding um, the picture for specialties who are less familiar um, than us with some of the nuances of these individual cases. I think you can argue that there is perhaps a spectrum of disease with a lot of clinical um, phenotypic overlap between RIME, between Stevens-Johnson, TEN, and even including erythema multiforme in there, right? These disorders are characterized by uh, some degree of um, blistering, whether that blistering occurs solely in mucosal surfaces, such as uh, rhyme tends to do, um, or predominance of mucosal surfaces, I should say, um, or whether or not there is skin involvement um, in the cases of things like TEN or EM. Um, and the degree of mucosal involvement is highly variable, but even within one disorder, it can um, be quite uh, variable, such as you know having erythema multiforme minor versus major, um, and then same with the cutaneous involvement. Um, I think you can have isolated targetoid skin lesions and something like erythema multiforme. Um, and you can um, sometimes have more extensive coalescing areas of skin necrosis with things like Stevens-Johnson and TEN. But then with patients that present with an infectious trigger without a, med uh, without a medication as a possible culprit, these kids that uh, have been called RIME or MERM in the literature oftentimes can have variable degrees of skin involvement. Sometimes they see few targets or a few atypical targets. Sometimes they have giant coalescing uh, sheets of necrosis, just like you would expect in TEN. So I am not sure that there's great value in giving them a different diagnosis or a different name. I would also okay. argue that you're probably not treating them the same way. Um, recent paper that was published um, suggested that a Tanercept could be used in the treatment for Rhyme. And just like Dr. Mathis mentioned in the first episode, a Tanercept is also commonly used for things like Stevens-Johnson syndrome. So if it looks the same, it's treated the same, the sequelae of scarring are the same, why are we giving this a different name? And um, I think that that just adds more um, confusion to the literature that we're splitting rather than lumping. I like your conviction, Dr. Chu. I'm very impressed. I'm impressed by your enthusiasm as we delve deeply into these diseases. I um, should perhaps I just want add the caveat here that <laughs> this is not my personal opinion, um, that I am arguing a point that, that I, I can see the validity of, right? Even if yes. it's not something I personally believe, there are people that I highly respect and who trained me, who taught me this um, way of thinking. I think... 
I, I mean, I think there's so much value in having, um, having opposing opinions. And that's the, this is really the value of the debate, which you are making more impactful and more colorful and lively and valuable today. I think you, we can make better choices when we, when we see both sides. I wanted to just go a little bit more, dive a little bit more into the EM, EM major, EM minor, EM major uh, question with you. So there, I know in the literature, there are some studies that suggest that EM minor without a lot of mucosal involvement, those really well patients with mostly target lesions, that that's more strongly linked to HSV and that possibly EM major where there's more mucositis, patients are more unwell, um, and where th that those may be more linked to mycoplasma. Is that is that your personal experience? Have you seen different things? Have you seen the have you seen HSV span the spectrum of EM minor, major, or go even go into SJS? Or what's your um, feeling on that? Yes, I, I think this is a very controversial topic. And we probably need to have some better uh, consensus case definitions for some of these disorders um, before we can fully understand uh, what is going on. Um, but like Dr. Mathis mentioned, I have certainly had patients who have recurrent mucositis that is triggered by HSV. And um, in the one patient that I have cared for for a long um, time with this disorder, she was predominantly mucosal um, erosions until several years into her disease course when she presented with some April targets. I think it's hard to say that she is a case of recurrent rhyme triggered by HSV. I think the better term in this scenario would be erythema multiforme major, recurrent, triggered by HSV. So I think there is a lot of, um, it's a spectrum of disease. And, I, I, and I'm not sure that we are doing the community a service by introducing another diagnosis and another name in there. And I think it just adds to the confusion of what already exists. I would also well, I think, argue, yeah. um, Dr. Ramin, and I, I, I'm not sure if this is what you were um, kind of getting at, that, you know, this same trigger can tr trigger a variety of clinical phenotypes. Um, so just as you can have HSV that can trigger, you know, acral targetoid uh, lesions without any mucosal involvement, HSV has also been known to trigger predominantly mucosal disease with no or minimal skin involvement. Um, and whether you label one rhyme or label one e, uh, EM, that seems to be splitting hairs. And then you also sometimes um, seem to have patients who have um, no known trigger, so no viral symptoms. Um, beyond a short prodrome, um, no drug culprits. And you know, what do we call those patients? Can you really call it reactive infectious mucocutaneous eruption when they didn't have an infection preceding? I think that those patients are more accurately labeled Stevens-Johnson syndrome, idiopathic Stevens-Johnson syndrome. When we, when we think about all of these terms, I think you're really highlighting very clearly for the audience why we have reason to really interrogate um, the, the terminology that we use around uh, describing the spectrum of, well, and if we consider it a spectrum, a lot of people feel that erythema multiforme is actually distinct. It doesn't, doesn't evolve into Stephen-Johnson syndrome, whereas Stephen-Johnson and TEN would exist on a, on a spectrum. So Dr. Chu, since, um, since you see SJS as a, as a broad spectrum, how, how would you suggest that we counsel or that we educate um, or provide better education to 
general practitioners who are seeing these patients first on how to recognize the broad spectrum that we could potentially be encompassed by SJS with those patients who have very little skin involvement in mucositis, ones who have more involvement might be drug-related, infection-related. How do we, how do you reconcile, yes, the breadth of spectrum that um, would be involved with that disease? And I, I completely buy into this idea that people recognize the term SJS, or how do, how do you create less uncertainty for providers when you have that patient? I do think you bring up a very valid point. Um, I think there is probably a spectrum of prognosis that occurs um, in these diseases and that there are kids who generally have much better prognosis and milder course than adults on the other end of the spectrum who have a more severe course. I think you can argue that just like Dr. Mathis said, you can have a child who presents with what looks like limited disease and then within a day or two be really sick and end up in an ICU setting um, because of extensive wound cares um, that are necessary, similar to what you would need for a severe SJS TEN patient who's in a burn unit. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that the clinical presentation early in the disease course is always a good indicator of what you know uh, near-term prognosis would be. I do agree that there's probably decreased mortality in children compared to adults. Um, and I'm not sure that you can make that distinction about mortality based on what the trigger is. So I, I'm not sure that the literature that's been published has been strong enough to say that it is infectious triggers that tend to have a better prognosis. But I think we could we should probably think about whether or not it's because you know pediatric cases tend to be um, either milder or more resilient than some of the adult patients who have comorbidities. So just going back to our patient again, like we did an episode one with Dr. Mathis, what would be your preferred management for this for the first time presentation of a patient who has a diagnosis of SJS? What tests do you want to do to confirm your diagnosis? What, what information are you looking for, I guess, to confirm your mm -hmm. diagnosis? And then how do you start, how do you start their treatment? What, what's your first, what's your go-to management and how would you follow those patients? I think my workup is very similar to Dr. Mathis. It would include taking a detailed history, including a very vigorous drug history to make sure that I'm not missing a drug culprit that has gone unnoticed. Um, I would do all the investigations that are necessary to identify whether there is an infectious trigger or not. And that includes a mycoplasma PCR. Um, that also includes a respiratory pathogen panel. So what um, at my institution, it's usually a panel that's determined with the input of microbiology and infectious disease based on what is circulating in the community at the time. Um, but I think that is a solid panel to obtain um, to investigate for respiratory viruses. Um, I will say that I oftentimes will order an HSV PCR from the oral mucosa, um, just to make sure that I'm not missing HSV gingival stomatitis, uh, but that frequently is negative because I think even if there's an HSV trigger um, for this, you know, just like we've been taught historically with EM that HSV is long gone um, by the time that the mucositis develops. Um, and then in terms of treatment, I think it's a lot of the same things that Dr. Mathis um, described. Um, I usually end up admitting them. They get multidisciplinary care um, with consultants coming in from ophthalmology, urology, gynecology, 
um, nutrition, um, and then especially including placement of something like an NG tube if oral intake is impacted. We do a lot of wound cares um, if there is uh, skin involvement. Um, I tend to treat um, patients um, early and aggressively with immunosuppression. Um, and so I, t I tend to like a Tanercept. And then um, if there's not been response within about 24 hours, and by response, I'm usually uh, looking for um, cessation of progression, and I'm looking for decreased erythema around the uh, blisters. If there's not that uh, response that I'd like to see, I'm usually adding in cyclosporin at five megs per kg per day, starting at about 24 hours into the hospital admission. And then I will sometimes give a second dose of a Tanercept after three or four days if the cyclosporin alone doesn't seem to be halting the disease progression. And do you use prednisone at all anymore, Dr. Chu, or is that something that you would reserve for a certain subset of patients or just thinking about looking for common features. I, I can see that there are some things that we're sharing with episode one, but other areas where we're going to different different management or different ideas. Yeah. I think this is very difficult because the literature states that the corticosteroids are not that effective for SJS, um, but it's also controversial, right? Because there are also certain studies that do suggest that it is beneficial. I do believe that the timing of immunosuppression um, is important, whether it's steroids or cyclosporin or etanercept. So if I'm going to give immunosuppression, um, which I almost always do, I do it early and relatively aggressively. So I also will give prednisone um, at one to two megs per kg per day. You, I usually max out at about 60 milligrams um, a day, sometimes 80 if I've got a really large teenager. Um, but I also do that for about a five-day burst. I don't do any longer than five days because of the concerns about um, ongoing um, immunosuppression from the steroids and perhaps because of the past studies. Um, but I usually reserve prednisone for those rare patients who I think can be managed on an outpatient basis. I, I think very rarely you can have an older child who is still um, maintaining hydration adequately who um, has reliable follow-up, and you can try discharging them on some high-dose prednisone and follow very closely to see if they um, can avoid uh, inpatient admission. That's interesting. So even with the first episode and an older patient with a really good follow-up who's rel quite stable, relatively stable, maybe milder case, those would be patients where you would think about, um, about managing them as, a, as an outpatient with prednisone. Correct. I've only done it a couple of times in my career, but um, I usually end up sending them home from the ER um, and then perhaps seeing them in clinic with the next day, or at least, you know, having some type of communication with the family and some photos um, the next day to make sure that there's not been progression. Um, but I think there's some, there are a few of these rare mild cases that are, that I think are probably more on the spectrum of erythema multiforme major. I'm not sure that Lyme is a homogenous disease either. Um, I think it's rather heterogeneous. And um, that's why I would perhaps argue that it doesn't deserve its own name, not just yet. Um, just to, to go back to your, to your inpatient management of uh, SJS patients, I did have a couple of, I did have a question about, about any practical tips. I did want to ask you about practical tips, give me an opportunity to, if you have any um, tips that you would want to share about about inpatient management of patients with SJS. 
I was just, I was going to mention my own experience and see if you found the same thing. Um, but one thing that I found has been really beneficial more recently, and I think it was under recognizing the literature previously, is the uh, the psychological burden for these patients who either got an infection or took a medication and their skin started blistering off. And so I think there's quite good evidence now that there's a lasting, almost post-traumatic stress disorder-like, um, I guess, symptomatology that can develop. So I have started involving uh, psychology or the childlike services really early on. And I was curious to know if you did that. And then my other observation, and this is like a very, with a very relatively small number of patients is that when I have a patient that has very uh, richly pigmented skin, skin of color, and when I've treated with them with their tanner sept, I've found that they have less dispigmentation. And I was just curious if you've, had, if you've made the same observations or if that's been your experience too. So in answer to the first question, I think some pearls that I have for inpatient management, um, I really value uh, involving all specialties um, with expertise um, for each organ system that is involved. I think that nutrition is very important. And so I often advocate for a relatively early placement of an NG2 if it seems that recovery of PO intake is going to take a while. I have not explored or noticed as much the psychological burden of this disease in most of the younger patients that I take care of. So I would say that um, child life is wonderful to have. I think these children can be very traumatized by wound cares. They can be very traumatized by oral cares. And so having child life involved during a hospitalization um, has been very valuable. I don't disagree with you that they probably do have some post-traumatic stress disorder from this disease. I, I think it is something that I will have to keep a closer eye on, especially in the older elementary school age or adolescent patients. Um, I think that is something that we really have to be mindful of. In response to your second question, I'm not sure that I've noticed whether or not a tanner step causes less post-inflammatory dispigmentation in patients with skin of color. It's not something that I've consciously thought about, but now that you've mentioned it, I do think that overall, um, patients with Stevens-Johnson syndrome seem to have less PIH than I would expect for the degree of skin necrosis and blistering that they have but I think that that may be independent of the treatment used. I'm not entirely sure. I will have to take attention to that. Dr. Chu, we're almost at the end of our time together. I just wanted to give you one last chance to, to really clinch the case for using the terminology SJS. What can you tell our audience about why everyone should adopt this terminology and why they should consider or, or strongly interrogate the, new, the need for a new terminology? I have always been more of a lumper than a splitter. So I think that when it comes to creating too many names for diagnoses, it can just continue to add to further confusion in the medical community. And so I advocate for sticking with SJS um, as a common term. I do want to say, uh, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to participate in this podcast, uh, Dr. Ramin. This has been an extremely fun experience. And I just want to make sure that all of the audience members who are listening today um, know that what was presented in this episode was more of a hypothetical devil's advocate position for me. Um, and that I really wanted to inject some levity and some controversy into this conversation. 
but um, the opinions expressed do not represent my own opinions. Thank you very so very much for playing along with us today. Your contribution is very valued. Thank you, Dr. Ramin. Thank you so much to Dr. Yvonne Chu and Dr. Michelle Ramin. This concludes episode two with Dr. Chu playing devil's advocate and arguing that rhyme shouldn't be separate from SJS. Up next in our final episode, Dr. Ramin, Dr. Mathis, and Dr. Chu come together to discuss the research needed to reach a consensus on this important topic. So stay tuned. Support for this podcast comes from Orthodermatologics, an Insight Pharmaceutical Company. This is an independent medical education program. Pedra is solely responsible for all program content and the selection of all presenters, authors, moderators, and faculty. If you like this program and other Pedra podcast episodes, please take a moment to rate us and leave a comment on whatever platform you're using to listen. If you have questions about this episode, please send us an email at info at pedraresearch.org.